0: Good day. Today I'll be sitting down talking to Mark Basarach as he shares more about his family's story and explains how important it has been from the recover the story of his ancestors that had been lost and how it brought a new appreciation for his own history of the eleven generations before him and how it helped to shape his understanding of his Canadian culture as a distinct ethnic group separated by its origins, values and purpose from the French Canadian culture of Quebec. This was recorded on a frosty February morning in Pi when temperatures were at minus forty with the wind chill. So grab a cup of hot coffee or hot chocolate and join me. So we're back today. I'm talking to Mark Bastrach. the The last time um, we were talking, I think we we left here. Um, I forget how many great back pier he had escaped from captivity in the United States, um, it's from South Carolina, he traveled back up to on foot to Canada and was able to get reunited with his uh, wife and, and son. Mark, yeah, just, if you wanna just kind of update us where we were in the story and what we, um, what, what transpired in your family since then and maybe we, could, uh, when we're talking about it, we can talk about how it relates to some of the the events in, in Acadian Ak- history.
1: Yeah, well, just, I guess, to summarize, what we talked about last time was what uh, some people have called the Lodice de Bastarache. So it's the Bastarache Odyssey. So it's how, um, basically, these two brothers um, made it through the deportation years and, and their family survived. So, um, and that involved... Uh, the, the prison ship into South Carolina, like you mentioned, and being imprisoned on the shores of Lake Ontario. But, um, so the two brothers did end up settling in what is now New Brunswick, in the Tracadie and Bucktush areas. Uh, and that began that began the, what would be called the post-exile years. So after the peace of 1763 between the British and the French, um, it was allowed by the Nova Scotia government and the British powers that... Uh, that Akkadians would be allowed to, re- to resettle. Um, it was a uh, programmed resettlement, so they were to be not settled on any arable land, so they were only given non-arable lands. They weren't allowed to own the land um, at that point. Um, they weren't supposed to settle in any groups, more than 10 families or more than 1,000 individuals. Um, and the idea, of course, was so that the ideology could not con- you know, get-, get back together, so the Akkadians couldn't couldn't assemble in, in big masses. Um, so in those post-exile years, starting in 1763, 1764, at the end of the Seven Years' War, um, it wouldn't be... It would probably be another 20 or 30 years before things were really settled, because what what, what happened was, is, uh, as Acadians came out of exile, returned from deportation, a lot of them chose different areas, largely in New Brunswick. There was a large a large population that, that resettled in the southeast part of New Brunswick, of course, um, which are still there. But what happened was is they would show up. They would start trying to put roots down, but then um, British loyalists or planters or, or British citizens would come in and kind of make them move again. So there was a few years there where there was a some sporadic settlements, but the eventual uh, uh, things that, that congealed into what we know now as the regions did happen there. During those years, they kind of had to re... I guess redefine what it meant to be Akkadian. Um, because up until that point, being Akkadian meant you were from Acadia. You were here. It's You lived here. You lived the Akkadian way, which, from what I can gather, really boils down to a few basic things, which is... Being non having nothing to do with the Monarch, so the British Crown or the French Crown doesn't really matter to you. You live in Acadia, um, you sense that you are in a neutral position, and you're okay with doing commerce and doing anything with just about the people that are in the area. So, the Acadian identity before deportation, you know, they are an agrarian population, um, They did settle in little hamlets, little villages, but they didn't have necessarily a a cohesive political structure. There was definitely um, structure within society, but it wouldn't be what you call a regular government. Um, But then, of course, after the deportation, these things change. So after the exile years, those years, I would say, are years of question, where they're just surviving, trying to get from one generation to the next. but in the years of 1780s, especially 1790s, then you will start seeing the big settlements happening. And that's when you see this um, the post-deportation Acadian identity forming. Um, again, like prior, largely attached to location. Um, I, I believe more attached now to, to faith than before. Um, I think pre-deportation Acadians definitely were attached to the Roman Catholicism for sure, But that might not have been so much of their choices what they were told to do because um, there was plenty of times when there was no there was no immediate priest in the area and the gating families kept on doing their things um they did family baptisms and they waited to be to be made official when the priest would show up again but um in the post-exile years i think the catholic church saw an opportunity in a displaced population and they saw something they could grab a hold of too it's, it's kind of a good thing for the church to do um so, the Catholic Church plays a big role in the post deportation years and post exile years in, in Acadian identity. Um, you end up with these isolated pockets of uh, Acadian settlements, which now become regions. Um, what's neat there is you find the language reflects that. You'll hear uh, the French dialects, all especially in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, and on PEI here. Um, each region has a pretty distinct. Dialect of French, so those because they evolved separately from, from from the those those post-exile times. Um. So yeah, so I mean we're moving into the seventeen nineties here, where uh, what it means to be Acadian is a little bit different. Now we're little small farms, people are fishermen, but they're 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 still into that little quiet subdued uh, pockets of regional areas. That's about it. Um, how does that relate to my family directly? Well, mine is just one of the hundreds and hundreds of stories that that yep. pops up. It's the same. So every everybody that can trace their their ancestry to this story has a it's like they got their own page in the same book. Yeah.
0: and that that is the the fascinating thing about family history that you can take that page that is your family and you can put it in that that bigger picture and really see where yeah they kind of fit in and it makes you appreciate the history more too when you realize that this person not so many generations before me um you know had to go through these struggles or this is the life that they found themselves in
1: sure and that's only following that one name so that's like in my example that's the bastard name. well my mother's maiden name is terry uh there's leblanc there's uh cormier Um, so if I go back to the one surviving ancestor on the Bastarash line, that goes back, what, one, two, three, four, seven generations, but you can do the same seven generations to the same family on the other side, plus it just goes back, it branches off. So at this point, you know, I don't know how many thousands of plus people had to go through that journey, which is the book, um, to end up with my page. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's we just follow the one name because it's the easiest line to follow. But the stories are just as amazing no matter which family you follow. That's what I find fascinating with the Acadian story. Is it's it's close because it's it's my story, my personal story, but it's close in geography too. Like we are in the place that it happened. We all are. It's where it's the Maritimes. Yeah. <clears throat> it's the the, the pre Canada. <clears throat> and it um it's also a story that ironically for a population who's known to be uh, not, uh, they they didn't write things down. There's so much written about the Acadian story because it was written by the British or the French or the New England population or all the observers. It's been written by priests. It's been written by travelers. Um, There's so much that's written down about our story. Um, That's what I find fascinating. And that's, You know, for anybody that wants to dig in, and I think you started this conversation off by asking one of those questions, like, what do you do if you want to dig in? How do you, what do you do? Just ask questions. Keep asking questions. Dig in deeper and deeper, because I promise you, if you're digging down the Akkadian path, there's a lot still to find. So
0: the the Akkadians themselves were had a a rich oral history more than written until, and did that change with the post-exile?
1: Absolutely, there was a lot more written post-exile for sure. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the the, the birth of British North America. Yeah, um, we're getting into post-industrialization here. The Industrial Revolution is happening in the late seventeen nineties. Um, so books publication, it's transportation. It's we're being a much much more uh, global place than we were before. You know, it was pretty 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 global ahead of time before that you know people were traveling all over the place but um no you know definitely pre-deportation there was not a lot written by Acadians themselves uh priests tended to be the ones that were writing things down travelers people coming through um merchants uh but not much uh, not that I, i've not honestly per- personally i don't know of anything yeah. that has survived written by akkadians now that kind of, to me, that raises a small question. Because I can't escape the fact that the Acadians in the Mi'kmaq, one, the Acadians would not have been able to exist in the first place without Mi'kmaq. Mi'kmaqi, that's where it's, Acadia, Ak- 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 Acadie, Ak- was built on the back of Mi'kmaqi. There's just no way around that. Um, we say today that we are on unceded land in the Mi'kmaq territory. Well, that's, this is a continuity of the same story. <clears throat> but the Mi'kmaq didn't write things down either. So they're, they're a, a verbal storytelling people, oral history people. And I often wonder if the Acadians, being a little bit frugal and a little adaptive as the way they were. You know, they, they liked to build houses. They had windmills. They had sawmills. There was forges. They built dikes to hold back the Bay of Fundy tides, which are, you know, the highest in the world. So these weren't people that were just kind of just sloughing it out through the woods like they had stuff figured out but they also chose not to write things down I think that if they wanted to they could have you know we these are in the times in the 1720s this is when uh calculus was invented you know the telescope had already been invented for decades here at this point like uh, European trade was happening we know our uh, Acadian archaeological sites we find pottery from Europe we find beads from Turkey and it's so like I said, the global this was a global world centuries and centuries ago. Before Steen, before all of this. So I think that if the Acadians wanted to make paper, if they could keep back the tides of the Bay of Fundy, I think they could have made paper if they wanted to. They made their own looms, they made their own fabric. I almost believe, and this is my opinion only, but I almost wonder if it wasn't by choice. If the 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 value of a oral history and oral stories is a little bit more organic can be passed from one person to the next the lessons are deep and intertwined um as opposed to what happens to stories when you write them down when you write down a story and you put it in a book well the book can then be used as a power tool you know you have to follow the book right i'm using the analogy for a reason right the book um if you don't follow the rules in the book, well, then then we can you know you can you can own a story if you have it published, you can own the narrative. I mean, look what Henry Wadsworth Longfellow did; he wrote a book, kind of owned the Acadian story a little bit. He was a New Englander that never been here, but, um, so I kind of wonder if the Acadians being storytellers, musicians, and all of the ways that they tell stories isn't a spinoff of the Mi'kmaq way of oral tradition.
0: And I wonder if it's, It sounds like they might have just been too busy to
1: write things down. Too busy, uh, you know. But there's also accounts of some some uh, British observers in the early days of early Acadia where they called the Acadians lazy, yeah. because they saw they said all they did was sit around and do nothing, um, and the reason they said that is they, they were comparing it to the farmers of New England or back in Britain, because, uh, the Acadians bounty were the, the crops were so bountiful on the on the dyke land farming that. They didn't have to work real hard. Their yield per acre was 10 times what it was in New England. Um, So that was just a joke on them being lazy, but they were just kind of smarter at that point. Um, Work smarter, not harder, right? Yeah. Uh, But yeah, now I wonder if, yeah, I think if they had wanted to write things down, I think they could have. I think they would have. Um, You know, they are familiar with it. The church registers are full of Acadian signatures. Mm-hmm. Some people would sign their name. They were literate enough to sign their their, their 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 own name. Some would write with an X. But the church registers have survived from I mean, a lot of the parishes prior to the de- deportation. <coughs> um, and you know, I see it on the wall, I don't know if we can see it on the camera here, but you know, the Acadians, we do our lineage. We say, Well, I'm i she she a a a People will say, you know, well, who's your father here on PEI, right? It's all about that genealogical line. Yeah. Um, you know, and we're here to talk about genealogy. Uh but I almost wonder if one of the reasons why the Acadians do this and they hold on to that so strong is it's another part of these these oral traditions. It's telling your family story just in a straight line. Yeah. That says which mark I am. Which bastard line I am. Oh, I'm one of the... Yeah, that's the line. And it tells the story. Because we all know where we came from. The long story is known. But we don't have to write it on our arms. We don't tattoo it. We don't carry it on our faces. But we tell it in our, in our, in our names. She marked as rose yeah so it's uh i think i think we're an oral story for a reason
0: and i I think a lot of i i want to say the the non-nobility class it was oral story tradition whether it's acadian um you know the scottish the irish sure it's um you know they told it through song they told their history through song and uh um now you're talking about writing in the church registers now being a mercantile and a trading people um other records out there um that would have been kept by these traders or these merchants and
1: again i've not seen anything that was directly written by acadians other than their names and pen marks in church registers um it's not something i've specifically looked for but i've definitely not come across it um but there's plenty of Of discussion of the Acadians trading with, the French or the British or whoever's coming through, they were they they lived at ports, on rivers, and if they had excess, they would trade with whoever. You know they supplied Louisbourg, so I'm sure there's got to be some, some mark on the French side of things, Um, but, I know nothing of any actual documentation left behind by the Acadians. It's
0: amazing, Um, but yeah the. You're right. Like, that's the one thing that I think a lot of people know about Acadian cultures. they know it has this rich heritage of <laughs> storytelling and song. And with that, um, with, with those families post post-exile, when did things start to change and how, what are some of the, the earliest writings that you would say by Acadians that tell? an Akkadian story. And then were they just the retelling of some of these oral stories or are they telling
1: new stories? That have... There was a period post-exile, um, especially around the, the turn of the century, the, around the end of the 18th century into the 19th century, where some historians um, of Akkadian descent um, were interested in, in talking to some of the old survivors of the deportation. So, there are some first-hand interview accounts that were done in the early, early 1800s. Um, the names escape me right now. I know some of the older older people. There was a Placid, uh, Placid Godad that did some stuff. He, he did a lot of interviews, but I can't remember the years. Um, a lot of these people came from the clergy. They're still clergymen. That, that were, They're were the literate ones. They're the ones that started the first schools. So the first schools in the Acadian region, of course, were associated with the church. So I think literacy really started beginning from the top down there.
0: So with that, even like the, the telling of your own story, how much of that had you been told and how much of it had you had to research? I like see there. Do you, like? Did you start did you know some of this stuff before you really started to dig into it or no so it was lost at some point. it
1: was lost it it broke it got broke for before it got to me yeah
0: um would that be common you find about the like the, the, a, a lot of the if i was to talk to somebody that's acadian today would they not necessarily be able to tell specific stories about their ancestors they may yeah. know the general broad history i think
1: sure that, I think I think you're right. I think the the vast majority would not know the long story. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had to dig mine up um, for years. I always wondered what my name meant. Yeah. You know, uh, it stands out amongst the crowd. Bastarash. It's not. It's not a what you quote unquote normal last name. I, mean, I don't know what a normal last name is, but. Um, you know, I grew up in an Acadian community in, in Clare, in Southwest Nova Scotia but it stood out there too it was different than all the terios and sonias and komows and Leblancs and yeah and goda and dusa and it was, it was you know you, and then all the other acadian regions i knew it still stood out so all my life i kind of wondered what it meant yeah. um, but then as the internet evolved people started putting more info online so i could find out more um, and that's when i just started digging in and digging in and digging in
0: um as a if, a, if there's young Acadians that are out there, or people of Acadian that are watching this, don't know their own particular story, why? Why do you think it's important for them to find it?
1: Hmm. That's a really good question. I think it's vastly important. Um, I think the Acadian story, in and of itself, without any specifics, is an interesting one in history. Mm-hmm. If you peel back the layers of the French connection, the English-British connection, and you just look at it in the lens of, somehow we end up with a population that identifies as separate, as unique, and they call themselves Acadian. They're not French, they're not British, they might have signed oaths, they might have done this or that, but... They even proved at the end that it was worth fighting for. So whatever they had built in a period of about 125 to 130 years was distinct and unique enough. Number one, to be deported. deported, An effective genocide attempt. Mm -hmm. There was an act of resistance. Um, So there's, there's clearly some type of value there. So when I distill it down, what I see is I see a European population sea population that comes to the new world um, North America, Turtle Island <clears throat> and they themselves not directly by conquest there's not a lot of obvious clear history that I've been able to dig up or see where you find tanglings between Acadians and Mi'kmaq directly and um, I feel like the Akkadian identity is born of Mi'kmaq. So, the lesson in this is, is what I see is the importance is they also, this is the integration of a native population and a, and a displaced European population. But like I said, not through conquest. It's not through war. It's not through coercion. There's it's, there's no thievery going on, <clears throat> even to so as far as the Acadians tended to be dyke land farmers, so they reclaimed the ocean bottom from the Bay of Fundy. As opposed to cutting down the forest, so this kind of it leaves nature a little bit alone, um, you know. You're taking from the ocean. Well, that seems like a pretty powerful thing to do. Um, so I see a little bit of a synergistic relationship between the peoples. First Nations and then this European population and the land where the rhythm becomes that of of synergy with the tide. Um, so I, I really see this this really interesting thing. They don't you know once the Akkadian identity really starts forming, they're kind of disconnected from Europe. They're they they can not like their ancestors came from there, sure. But they're not dependent on European trade, they're not dependent on taxation, they're not getting money, they're not you know, they're not on the dole. They don't They don't need food supplies being brought over from Europe. They're largely just created and new people. Um, so to be part of that story is important, I think. I think it's an important thing to look into. Um, I'm a dreamer. I'm a little bit of a storyteller. So I see these in a kind of a romantic way. But then I also look at the world history since then. And whether or not I'm accurate or not, I think... There's lessons that can be learned from the ideology, anyhow. Because, you know, a lot of times, all of the other countries that I can think of, and these borders and the fighting that we do today, when I look at the Akkadian history and the original story, the way I like to tell it, I see a little bit of a different way. There could have been a different way. And, you know, if you can trace your ancestry back to that story, look into it. There's lessons to learn. There's lessons to learn. There's lessons to learn because... There was value there, and that value was valuable enough to to be silenced.
0: It, yeah, it sounds like they were able to make a <laughs> peaceful coexistence, which you know and probably a codependency as well trade and yeah. in...
1: I mean there was intermarriage, there was you know family relations was all what happened. there was you know there was a new rhythm that was set on the shores of this side of the Atlantic. With the creation of the, the Acadian people and how they interacted with the Mi'kmaq and the Mi'kmaq, with the land of, of the Mi'kmaq. Um, had that been left to its own devices, I don't know what would have happened, but it would have been definitely interesting to see. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's a, just an interesting way of looking at an alternative.
0: Yeah, because it's even... I mean, knowing the nature of Canada as is, is today, the French people that are acadian they're much different than the, the
1: quebecois they, they're they're <laughs> their language is different like it, 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 it's because they're different that's why yeah that's why it's because they are different um absolutely you know they speak french in belgium too yeah they're very different than every other pick a category right um and that's the whole point of this is is uh, there's a lot of reason for the power structure, especially back in the day being, you know, the B- British power um, to categorize every French-speaking person under the French flag, because then you can you can deal with them. They're part of the enemy. Yep. Oh, look at that, it's another French Catholic, off they go. Um, there's no reason to believe that that's ever really changed and stopped. You know, we like to categorize things by things that make sense to us, and that word French, you can put a lot under that umbrella, but um, what I like to try to do is just separate the the conversation and say, Yeah, no, wait a second. There's this other thing called Acadians, and yeah, they spoke French, but they probably spoke English too, and they probably spoke Mi'kmaq. So, what were they? They were Acadian.
0: Yeah.
1: It's straight up. You know, this this place arguably existed for one hundred and thirty years. Um, in its heyday, uh, you know that's almost as long as we've had Canada. Yeah. So what forms in 130 years of, of an existence?
0: It's a pretty unique identity,
1: I think, you know?
0: And with that unique identity, would there be a, a common region where the people from Acadia would have come from in France originally, or some areas that are more common that, that that's why these particular people, they... Grouped together when they were over here. Mm.
1: Well, I wonder the way I think of that question when people ask that is how would I ask, how would you answer it if I was to ask, you know, what what's, where's the typical origin of a Canadian family? Yeah. There is none. So the Acadian story, and this is my point, is yeah, there's a bunch of orig- originating families that came from a general area, sure, but that immediately changed on the second generation. Yeah. Now your entire second generation are natural-born Acadians. So where those original families came from is a really irrelevant, because they were French. Yeah. Um, yeah, they came from the Poitou region. There was, you know, southwest French. There was there was a big chunk there of the first group that came over by design. Um, but what I assert that becomes the Acadian identity in the end are the second, third, fourth generations, the ones that choose to stay, the ones that fight for their land, the ones that have values built in here. Um... There's some of the original generations of Acadians that you would call um, some were from Britain. My ancestors are from the Basque region. There were some from Portugal. Um, so it's not necessarily directly from France.
0: Yeah. They were, like you said, uh, they were like much like Canada is today, today, multicultural, that yeah. it might have been predominantly French, but they were... They kind of, um, yeah, got together.
1: Yeah, like Port Royal at the time was the one of the busiest ports on the eastern seaboard between Boston and New York, um, which is now Annapolis, of course. Um, it was a busy spot. There people coming and going from everywhere. Um, so who stayed? Who who went? Who had babies? You know, it's uh, it it becomes um, it becomes a more of a of a gray area and a complicated story because. We really like to try to simplify these things in single sentences you know the Acadians are the descendants of french settlers boom end of story well no that's not the end of the story it's actually way more complicated than that you know so
0: um one of the things and you brought up a little but knowing the history of nova scotia when we we talk about different people's groups that have, that came there um there were french settlers that the british allowed in in fact they invited them there um the french settlers from switzerland that they and that settled on the south shore uh, along with swiss germans and um but the differentiating thing was it wasn't so much that they were french that they the english had an issue with it was that they were catholic they weren't um protestant um so how much you talked a little bit about it how much of an influence has that Catholicism been on the actual development of uh, the Acadian culture today, what it is. Um, partially, they they were the record keepers. They were the the ones who were the educated, like um, most early education institutions. Um, North America, they were set up by one religious group or another mm. um with the premise to educate clergy but educate the population as well um so how much influence did that have and um and what kind of influence does that still play today within?
1: yeah well the catholic church has had a, a hand on the Acadians pretty much from the beginning even though some of the originating families were Huguenots, they were, they were, they were Protestant. Mm-hmm. Um, but, especially post-deportation in those exile years, um, you know, I, I do believe that the, I do think that the Acadians, by and large, like many people are people of faith. Um, how much they're active practicing and how tenacious they are to actual religions kind of waxes and wanes over time, probably. Um, I can imagine surviving those 11 years of troubles and then the post-exile period. Um, having something to hold on to and having a belief structure is probably almost a survival tactic.
0: Yeah. I was going to see, almost n- you, you need faith Jeez, in those. yeah.
1: Cause yeah. So, you know, so of course, <laughs> this is going back, so I wasn't there. but. Um, <laughs> how how tenacious the Acadians were to their religiosity before deportation i'm not sure i'm quite i question it a little bit um, but after those, these exile years you do see a huge 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 gravity towards the church um, there's a lot of information out there again that's written down <clears throat> about how the church actively sought after these Acadian populations in the regions and and uh, I mean, the Catholic Church is pretty known to want to wanna sell their message. You know, they've been doing it for thousands of years. <laughs> um, they're pretty good at that, their marketing program as well. Um, there was a lot of discussion about symbology um, after deportation into the, uh, into the 1860s, 70s. So again, this is after Canada's Canada, okay? So right about the time of Confederation. Um, Acadian groups are trying to start to figure out, okay, how are we gonna identify ourselves? So today, you drive around any Acadian region, you'll see the flag, the uh, the red, white, blue, with the yellow star. Um, of course, it's right off of the, the tricolor from France, um, and there's a reason for that. but. It took years and years and years of discussion through the church through community groups there was pros and cons and there was arguments and there's some nefarious activity that, that that's been involved with the the three uh national acadian conferences that happened um that culminated in the one in the um, pei in 1884 which settled on um, the major tenets of acadian symbology so the flag the national anthem um, the religious dates, the dates of celebration, what saints to celebrate and what not to. That all had to be decided. Um that was all decided at really at, at church conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, so and there was also counter-arguments to a lot of these things. Like there was one case where the uh the pro voice for the, the current flag and the Ave Maristella and and then the the symbols that, that we know today. Um, they kind of uh, they set the deck against their opposition. They made sure that they weren't able to show up at one of the conventions where some voting was happening. So the people that voted only had one option to vote. Um, And uh, they came prepared and they didn't tell the other people to come prepared. It was was a little bit of some some underground things. But that's how we ended up with uh, today's Acadian flag. Yeah,
0: Which is interesting because at the time the Acadians um would have been identified as being French or from France. Those are that wasn't
1: the flag that no, well see in a way what they did is they took see the French the tricolor, the the tricolor flag, that's the uh, the revolutionary flag yeah. of France. And they wanted to bastardize it by throwing the star on it. So in a way it, it is kind of like a little in a way, not necessarily showing the, the happiness to the French flag, but they wanted to to desecrate it a little, a little bit. Um, that's one of the, the conversations that you'd read in some of these papers when you, when you read some of the, the, the digging up of the old stuff. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's it's an interesting discussion because you realize that these symbols were, were largely chosen by the church.
0: Hey, I'm Brian Nash, and if you're new here, you might recognize me from my avatar beside my channel name. I just wanted to stop you here to thank you for making it this far. If you think more people's family stories need to be told consider subscribing to my channel and hit the notification bell so you'll get a notification of my next video. Okay, I took enough of your time so let's get back to Mark's story and, but I want you to stick around to the end and help you learn how to find and organize the information you need to be able to know your own family story. And I apologize, something happened to one of my mics in this last section so it's not as high quality as you deserve. I didn't cut it out though because it's Important to hear the full story. Would you say
2: the church, in a way, set the stage or set definition of what a is has I know we talked about that before we started recording, you know, you don't have an openly franchise, right and so if you were talking, they might not necessarily recognize you as uh, at first. Uh, even if he even if you might have a, a deeper able to prove your connection they that it's not it's not actually well I guess I try to summarize it I guess so we gotta decide who gets not who but how do you form what is a So like you just said I, I don't have like a French accent. Okay so that must sort of this French accent unique you, you, you. Um, so you know my name doesn't look it gives so it But you no, know, I go back a lot of generations on one side, ten on the other side, zero brains, my family was not directly deported. They spent time as refugees as here. Um none of the ancestors left. I was born on in this territory. So, I was born in My first ancestor was one of the fast crash, shows was up in the So, effectively, I've never left. I'm, I'm still disconnected line from back then. But because the Acadian identity seems to be owned by the group, the population of that, it doesn't. Because if I don't sound French, I don't look French, I don't look Canadian, Then you know, all of a sudden you've got to start explaining the story. Right? But the actual part the truth of the story is I go back eleven generations. On this right on this on Big Mark territory, it used to be called Canadian. So, I don't know. Um I just it's, it's strange. And it's got to be, because I think, especially when you start spending your own family, you, you tend to identify with it in, in the past. Um, no matter what that is, whether you find out that you, you, your family were Scottish Highlanders so part of the, the clearances you saw, and start to, to develop that. Then, you know, no matter, you might not have a mat. Going back a couple generations, you know, before you can find one of those, you have you, you know, that feeling when you start to identify you. You start to, I guess, relate and understand some of it. the family tradition or the family, you, you look back, at you the know, names, and you're like, oh, that's why we have so many people with this name in my band, that, you know, I can go back to my head second great grandfather. That and I me mean, there's like seven other people with us almost the same meaning there yeah. um, yeah. the um being Catholic, there's a stereotype large Catholic family. So sure. I think mean, we're a particularly probably after the mid 20th century we're more prominent. than we. we get that in uh, Catholic populations, Irish, French. Ever um you yeah, think that that was a really big, almost big, the hindsight of the British probably the numbers. They didn't really account you know, for these large families, you know you have you have ten families of thousand people. Yeah. That's what you call a family. Yeah. Exactly. Well, this has been plenty of like in the early, we, we alluded this earlier about, how uh, the early Canadian settlements with Diamond farming, and how their crop yields were really really good. So if you, you don't have to work really hard to get high quality crop, you could raise a lot of livestock, you can feed yourself and you can raise agents, healthy moms, healthy families, healthy babies. So direct comparison in the heyday. In agriculture and sustainable farming, there um, in comparison to the their uh, birth rates and survival rates were three to four times so so they had a lot of uh, really um, I don't know how related really that was to Catholicism or not. Um, I think it has more to do with a really healthy, growing yeah. population on a tidal river with abundance of limited like you're not in a war country country like I said that's why this is it's an important story. Um, these people are just interacting with land. It's not they're not taking over a, a burnt or earth place or nothing like that. So they really had a period of abundance. And they made their their communities like, like accordingly like um, at, at the top end of the river of Annapolis, which they called the Dopan River back then. It's the first French-speaking Canadian cellar, is called the Padabhi Pax, Berkeley and it really was. I mean, you go there today, you can close your eyes and imagine to just blink once or twice and delete modern structures. It's the same vista. It's the same real flat, slow valley between the soft Mountains. Um, You've got this meandering, old, old river that's just sneaked up through the valley. You can imagine. It's a really good point, Maybe with the low I mean, the mortality rate, your population is going to oh, grow. Yes, and then, you know, you, people would get married young. They would have babies young but the all church registries still survive. So, we you know, people mostly got married in the early 20s, and they had the babies, like, not much later, but like it's, it's happening. Survival and there was also room to grow, so they had technology, they had dive net farming. So, when one little area around a river system got a little overpopulated or a little bit too tight, they just moved to another river system. They didn't have she wasn't Was the Predator King's town. But it that was, it was a famous battle, and they, they burnt the whole village uh, let's see, let's see. Uh, Yep, the River, all the so. See, what, what happens when you're is gets it's separated from Nova Scotia, happened twice throughout history. So, um, Acadia, I the or Nova Scotia, as you'll see on the later maps, originally was mainland Nova Scotia. And what we know now is of and parts of the time period, um, but the, the, the western border was always kind of great. Uh, during the seven years war between England and France, the pinch point at Port at where the border is between you know, two countries, there was two ports that were built there. and That was the fact. that that was kind of like the, we call it the, the No Man's Land. That was the standoff point. So there was, north of that was back in the you know, say, French Athenian, mm-hmm. south of that was back in the Ave, English, or the, of the Scotia. So the north side of that remained French controlled for quite a bit longer. Um, that's where the refugee camps were. Um, it was, as, as the French retreated into, lost of course. Um the New Brunswick territory still under French It no only became New Brunswick in weeks, um, six, eight, four, I would say. Um and that to uh, 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 but no that was that was that was um the main of New Brunswick the Hinterland was still known rivers is where find the 80s. so the canes largely would not be. land they stayed on the river marshy lands and where were they at see they were they were building habits and themselves they mock where no they moved to the seasons moved in and out of the woods as they needed to to the summer inland in the winter um, hunt for protein meat in the winter. seafood shellfish in the summer. canes um, no they that the so um, to do that, the only way that they could have access to is really water. So it would be all land and all little you know paths inland you know, social, but by and large so Now <laughs> we talked we talked a little bit about that. officially what Canadian are there's uh and I know that probably there's you know you have issues with that necessarily I mean I think anybody has that one anybody trust me find sure who the people are you know you we know, don't like to be told you we know, are you're old. your own old, old, old people, that's why you know all the nationalities in countries. I, I really, I first identified this. Um, what what things, what cultural things and, um, you know, traditions, uh, you know, style of music, okay, so if you say, you know, that, that is, that you look at, yeah, that, that's a game, that's, um, you know, that, you can say, yeah, that, that, that I can I in touch with my culture, you know, through those things. These symbols that were made by man Sure. Sure. So the things that I think that come from the people as opposed to you know from the ground up, the top down. Yeah, there's certain there things like some of the cultures. Um can like use grated potatoes and all of other food, right? So we make things like rock and top rock. Uh within the raw baby, which is not like um, that's uniquely um in this part of the world. Um, but again, that's that's a post-deportation thing. So, you know, uh, there's there's certain things that make me wonder how much is carried out throughout the generations. Are there personality traits? Are there certain ways of looking at things? Are there are there any traits that are innate of our way of that's kind of I think it's a broad question to have because I mean it's really tough to these things now yeah. but um, I, I wonder I'm not sure I wonder if there's some of the, 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 the Canadianisms that might not be actual Canadian values yeah. you know because everybody's friendly and everybody you know, apologetic and humble and quiet those all tend to be traits that people would attribute to us you know not wanting to make a fuss, not wanting to make a big deal of things just kind of why? Um, I mean, that's yeah. um, music is uh, is an interesting one um, again because they didn't write things down. It's tough to trace the origins of tunes, mm-hmm. and music, and what comes from what influence and whatnot. But I think there's a lot to be said for a few people getting together and just uh, Yeah, um, I feel like that's probably common to so many cultures but you know i know i, I feel that um, when that happens here at home somewhere sometimes it feels like maybe there's a couple extra people in the room maybe a little bit of the ancestors hanging out in the corner you know in the shadows saying yeah thanks guys for keeping this going it's- We... parties. would there be particular songs that you know people that grew up in the culture would yeah. all yeah. knowing whether not, not 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 that jump out to me directly i mean there's some some songs from childhood that my mom and my grandmother sang that i sure um but there's a, like there's a lot of films like san real jumps out right on top but that's that's every but it's gonna go to the game just party where to over the manual and something 'cause can I pulled out of the of the go basket for short. Um, what's the origin of the scene we don't really know? Yeah. You were mentioning food. I I I love talking about food in relation to my ancestors because there's so much memory set are you or you go through tastes and smell, um, you know, finding out that this is a you know a recipe that has passed down for years. You know, probably modified along the way. People have their all types of stuff. There's that that essence of this is this is you know something similar to my great grandparents, whatever, would have eaten or things that. I'm sure some like, they developed while well, they were in these refugee camps because they, you know, they had to adapt um, even potatoes. You know, because um, the land of Canada much like Ireland, you know, and there's a lot of places. Potatoes probably one of the few crops you came from, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're down in the Minneapolis Valley yeah. or, and those areas, but it's 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 readily available to so yeah. you, you know, you develop dishes and you yep. diet around it. Um, but the, it, yeah, it really puts you in know, touch with it. That, that feels, you know, we can't live there, but maybe you can taste them, of it little bit. Or, you said, you're listening to music and you can picture your ancestors, you can think, especially your own old house, you know, generations ago, there was probably somebody listened to the same tunes. Yep. Maybe they're singing different words, some of the tunes or parts of it were um similar um yeah there, there's a, that experiential part of uh, you know culture that kind of makes us us, what we what we are what we, we think that things that are in, innate to us you, you never know you know where you get your appreciation from this yes. so sometimes when you start true. Yes. Uh, yeah. right. you know even yourself you, you work with your Hands, a, 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 a blue tier, John Signing, and violins and fiddles. And when I came in here to work on a stand up bass, uh, you know, that I, when talking to that would have been maybe not necessarily the artisanship that was your ancestors would have been people that worked with their hands, you know, with shape these things, you know, they're, uh, they're an important part of taking uh, culture. The, the fiddle idea, I'm to think that the key music, I think, I think uh, the fiddle and the plays and, you know, those, those things, yeah, me, yeah. I mean, you kind of wonder how much of that, how much of that is in your DNA and how much of that is, well, is experiential. Because that's, you know, yeah. because it's in your parents' DNA because that's, they listen because that's what their parents listen. to. My own son, um, you know, I, I find it interesting. He likes... You know, a lot of modern music, but I often catch them listening to um, Great Big C and uh, Stan Rogers, even uh, you know, uh, things that I, you know, type of music that I associate um, with the style of music that would be in my my heritage. It kind of makes me, it makes me proud. So, yeah. uh, uh, you know, I, I, rub, I rub off in a good way. Yeah. Uh, you know, it makes you wonder. Does this stuff subject pass on? No. I've always been a tinkerer, mess with yeah. this, fixing that. And I know a lot of people, older generations, my grandparents of years, and my father's of age, and you know, all these, these people, you know, they just, it's just, me amazing they figure out little tinker, is that something you just grew up with that can it be passed on?
0: What an interesting story Mark had to tell. And it's amazing what you can find when you start building your family's history. And you can start by clicking this playlist right here. While St. Anne's Real plays us out. And remember to keep searching for your ancestors. Hey,